Carla's sister was right. You boys could use a little churching up. We gotta make that move towards redemption. We gotta go to church. from God. Help you, boy? Would it make you feel any better if you knew that what we're asking Matt here to do is a holy thing? You see, we're on a mission from God. We need you, man. We're on a mission from God. We're on a mission from God. They're not gonna catch us. We're on a mission from God. Our Lady of Blessed Acceleration, don't fail me now! Lord works in mysterious ways. Yep. Welcome back to Hope, everybody. Uh, so good to be worshiping with you today. We had an awesome weekend last weekend as we kicked off the start of a lot of really great things that are happening in the life of our church this fall. And so everything we're doing today is kind of a continuation of what got started last weekend. The production team had a little bit of fun calling this the post-sabbatical sermon part two. Uh, I was on a sabbatical all summer, and it's great to be back. I'm just kind of getting back into the swing of things. And, and last week, my first First week back, we talked about this idea that Christianity, following Jesus, living a life of faith, is about moving from part one of our lives into part two of our lives. And in case you didn't catch it from that clip we just watched, uh, part two of our lives is all about becoming people who are on a mission from God. I grew up on a farm outside of New Providence, Iowa, about an hour north of here. And to the east of our farm was a pasture. Across the pasture lived the Hummer Houses. H-U-M-R-I-C-H-O-U-S-E, Hummer Cow. Anyway, uh, that's how we remembered to spell their last name if we ever needed to. I don't know. They had four boys in their family. We had three boys in our family, and Mike Hummerkhaus and I were constant companions when we were growing up. One summer, we started referring to ourselves as Jake and Elwood. Uh, that was the summer that Mike watched the Blues Brothers for the first time. He was convinced we should start a band. That was his mission, and it probably was for Mike. He was a great musician, all state in high school. Uh, went to uh, college, was a music major, became a worship leader at a church in Cedar Falls. He's still making music today. It was not my mission. Uh, Jake and Elwood are on a mission from God, and so are we here at Hope. Uh, we've got a mission that's been guiding us for pretty close to three decades now. You heard in the announcements, if you were here for announcements, Pastor Ashley said, we're praising God this weekend for 87 new members in our church who took the new member class last weekend. That's in a, and then there's hundreds more across all of uh, Hope's campuses. I hope we never take that for granted. Like the average church in America today has 200 members and 65 of them show up for worship on the weekends. We just added a church last weekend. Isn't that pretty amazing? All right. You know. I think it's pretty amazing. 
God is on the move around here, and, and we're on a mission, and God invites us to be a part of it. What I get to do at the new member class, teach through Hope's mission, teach through Hope's vision, teach through Hope's uh, core values. So we're going to talk about the mission today. We'll put it up on the screen, and let's say this out loud together. Say it with me. Reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. One more time. Reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. We're just going to unpack this today because it's going to be important for us as we think about what are we doing as a church this fall. Now, the first two words are reach out. Uh, last week we looked at a guy in Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 6 who has an encounter with Jesus that is transformational. Uh, the power of God's grace saves him. The power of God's grace transforms him. He becomes a new creation. We looked at the Apostle Paul, same thing for Paul through his conversion experience. For both these biblical characters, as they move from part one of their lives to part two of their lives, because of this encounter with God's grace, part two of their lives is all about reaching out. Immediately, they start sharing with the people in their lives, with the world around them, this is what God has done for me. Uh, last week, we also talked about the idea that the, the power of God's grace, it's not a one and done kind of thing, but it's, it's every day, every moment of our lives, God's grace is for us to uh, keep doing this work in us. I, I was talking with a guy from our church. Uh, he was here last weekend, and you know, we were talking about the sermon, because everybody wants to talk with me about what I preach. He said, I, I get this understanding, I, I understand this idea of moving from part one to part two. But isn't there also a part three and a part four? And like, is, isn't there second chances and third chances and on and on and on? And of course, that's absolutely correct. One of the ways I talk about it, sometimes the language we use around this, there's always a next step when it comes to faith. There's always a next step. For some people, the next step is the first step, that the power of God's grace is going to move you across the line and you're going to go from not believing to believing, from having no faith to having faith. Maybe that's the next step, the first step for some of you today. For others of us, that next step of faith is maybe it's like an upgrade. Did you see that Apple announced the iPhone 15 is going to be coming out soon? Um, iPhone 15, I'm guessing, is going to be pretty similar to the 14 and the 12 and the 6, which I still have. No. Um, but there's going to be some upgraded features, uh, some cool things about it that people are going to want to spend $1,000 to get. Part of what we read as, as we're looking at the letters of Paul in the New Testament, Paul talks about this next step of faith as an upgrading process for you and me, for followers of Jesus. I want to look at four verses where he's talking about this idea. First one is 2 Corinthians 3.18. Read it out loud with me. The Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. So initially, the followers of Jesus were called followers of the way, that Jesus had a way of life. And as you read through the book of Acts, they're referred to as uh, followers of the way. But eventually, they get a different name. Uh, followers of Jesus become known as Christians. And Christians initially was meant to be an insult. Look at all these people running around acting like they're Jesus. Christians literally means little Christs supposed to be an insult, but the Christian community embraced that. We said, yeah, absolutely. That's the whole point of this thing, that the power of God through, through God's Spirit is going to change us more and more all the time so that we act like Jesus and talk like Jesus and prioritize our lives like Jesus. We're going to be transformed. We're going to be changed into little Christs. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is another place. 
We'll put it up on the screen. Read this out loud with me. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. There's an upgrade process that God wants to do in our lives. Be careful how you read that first line. Uh, too often, Christians, we read this first line and we're like, oh, the world is this big, bad, scary place. And so we're going to go from church back home and try to avoid the world as best we can. But that's not, Jesus says you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. When I pop my batch of popcorn tonight like we do every Sunday night, I'm going to make sure the salt is in that bowl of popcorn. We're supposed to be in the world, not of the world. And God's going to transform us as we are following after him so that people look at us and say, oh, there's something a little bit different about those Christians. We'll talk more about this later on in the message. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 15 is the next one. Let's read this out loud together. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Uh, Paul's writing the letter of Galatians. We looked at it earlier this summer. He's writing it to a church community that believes what counts is strict adherence to the law of Moses. What counts, what saves us is, do we perform well enough? Are we obedient enough? And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. That's not what counts. What counts is this transforming process that we're going through as the power of God's grace is continually at work in our lives. One more example, Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. Read this out loud with me. The good news is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives. If we took the time and I, and I just asked you, just shout out some things that you wish were different in the world, some things that you would like to see changed in our world, I bet we'd have a lot of people have a lot of ideas about what needs to change in the world. And God wants us to be change agents for sure, but the starting place is he's going to change us. He's going to change us. That's the starting place. So as we carry out our mission, as we reach out to the world around us, the starting place is an awareness and understanding of the transformational work that God has been doing in our own lives. And when we reach out from that kind of a place, it's a very different kind of reaching out when, than if we're just reaching out wanting to change everybody else. The starting place is what has God done in my life? What change is the power of God's grace bringing about in my life? What saving and transforming work has God been up to in my life? And from that awareness, that understanding, we reach out, we carry out the mission. Uh, last week I introduced you to Cousin Richie, a character on a TV show called The Bear on FX. And Cousin Richie is going through this transformation process in his life. Uh, he, he's helping start a restaurant. They're working their way to opening day of a restaurant called The Bear. But the head chef, his uh, cousin Carmi, sends him to a different restaurant to just observe. And in that process of being at that different restaurant, watching the way they do things, it begins this process where Richie has to take a good hard look inside. And he has to understand there are some things going on inside me that aren't good, that need to change. And as he has conversations with people at that restaurant, as he starts to see a new way of, of thinking about things, thinking about restaurants, thinking about relationships, that change that's taking place in his life, it, it leads to an external change. And so he goes back to the bear, and he's ready to reach out. Take a look. Oh, 
Hey, let me say one thing before you start laughing at me. I don't hear anybody laughing, G. I get it. 106 miles to Chicago. Full tank of gas. Half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark. I'm wearing sunglasses. Hit it. suits now. Ah, understood. What can I help you with? May I sit? You may sit. Hit me. I, um, uh, I want to apologize. For? Everything, I guess. Okay, hold on. Hey, can the closest person outside my office come in here, please? What's up, Matt? Gary, Richie would like to apologize to me, and I'd like a witness. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm being serious. Yes, yeah, so am I. Turn up the heat. Let's go. All right. Um, I think for a long time I didn't really know where I fit, you know, and I would shove myself into, like, places and things where I definitely did not fit, and I think that that probably definitely made things worse. And I'm sorry if I took anything out on you, um, because I actually do think that we could fit good together. I could be good at things that you don't really want to do, and you're obviously really great at a whole bunch of stuff that I don't know how to do, you know? That's why you're wearing the suit. Um, I'm wearing a suit because it makes me feel better about myself. What do we think? I think he did a really nice job. Uh, part of the reason I wanted you to watch that scene is just to, to remind us, as we're carrying out our mission, uh, people will not be necessarily receptive and open. They might be a little bit skeptical and, and resistant as we reach out. Now, you, you saw he comes in and he says to Carmi, uh, I get it, I'm ready to go, we're on a mission, let's do this thing. And Carmi like, recognizes the change immediately and he, he's all in. But Natalie is a little bit different. She doesn't trust uh, that a real change has taken place. She invites Gary to come in and be a witness of this supposed uh, apology. But what I love most about that scene is the way her face communicates that she is starting to believe a lasting change really has taken place. And, and, and did you notice the humility that Richie has as he's apologizing there? She, she sees the external change. She, she sees the suits. But what's making a difference for her is that she's starting to see there's an internal change that has taken place. And that's what makes all the difference. For us, as we carry out the mission of hope, as we reach out to the world around us, it's that proof, that evidence of an internal change, it's going to be what makes a difference as we reach out. The Apostle Paul is a great example of this. He's Saul, right? He's rounding up Christians. He's throwing them in prison. He is persecuting them, and then he has this... Uh, 
conversion experience. And immediately, he starts preaching. He starts telling the good news. Here's what God has done for me. And some people embrace this change in Saul, but some people are very skeptical, especially when he goes from Damascus back to Jerusalem. Uh, Acts 9.26, it says, Saul tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. It makes complete sense that they would be skeptical, that they would not trust this. They would want proof or evidence of an internal transformation. And Natalie is wanting proof and evidence when it comes to uh, Richie as well. Our theme at Hope this year is the whole Holy Bible in a year. And we've taken on this challenge as a congregation of trying to read through the whole Bible in one year from cover to cover, not as a legalistic kind of thing, but as a we believe the more we're engaging with God's Word, uh, that's going to be good for all of us. And so this week, the daily readings were from, in the New Testament, the Second Timothy. In the Old Testament, it was from Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, the first 20 chapters. He's writing in a time in the history of the nation of Israel where they need to change. They need to be transformed. So here's part of what uh, Isaiah says, chapter 1, verse 27. Let's read this out loud together. Those who repent will be revived by righteousness. Those who repent will be revived by righteousness. So I'm going to pause in the message just for a second and, and say something that needs to be addressed. We're, we're human beings, and we are change-resistant. We don't like change. So you come to church, and you hear the preacher who has been suntanning all summer. Hey, you need to change. You need to stop doing this and start doing that. God wants you to change. And there's something about us that maybe bristles at this idea. And if I could be even a little more forward, this is especially true for the men in the room. Your wife dragged you in here. Are we going to be able to get home before the pregame show starts? And your wife's like elbowing you. And now there's some guy up front that you may or may not know saying, change, change, change. And you're like, uh-uh. At least that's how I am when I listen to other preachers. Who are you to tell me what to do? So, just to be clear, these are not Scott's words. These are God's words. And God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says this. Those who repent will be revived by righteousness. What does that mean? I've been back for two weeks now after being out of the office for two months. As you might imagine, my calendar is pretty full. And one of the things that's filling it up, people in our congregation, in our community, who want to have conversations with the pastor about some things that are going on in their life. And the things going on in people's life in our church and our community are really hard things. Uh, marriages that aren't going the way that anybody wants them to be going. Uh, real challenges when it comes to parent and child relationships financial troubles, job situations, futures, uh, health stuff. People are grieving. I'm feeling for the law enforcement community in our state and, and here locally after what happened up in Algona this week. Uh, our mission is to reach out to the world around us, and the world around us is hurting. So I don't know what your working definition of repentance is, Sometimes we think of repentance as, this is the bad thing that I've been doing that I need to stop doing, so I'm going to say I'm sorry, I'm going to apologize, and I'm going to promise to stop doing this thing and start doing something different. I'm going to change my behavior. And, and certainly that's a part of repentance. 
But from a biblical standpoint, repentance has less to do with a changed behavior and more to do with changed thinking. That verse that we looked at earlier from Romans 12, verse 2, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, it's a pretty good biblical understanding of repentance. Now, of course, when we change the way we think, that's going to end up having an impact on how we act, on how we behave. But the starting place for repentance is changing the way we think. So if you've showed up for worship today and you're overwhelmed with guilt or you're overwhelmed with sorrow or you're thinking about the things that you have done that have hurt someone or the things that have been done to you that have hurt you, what if today you repented? What if you changed the way you think? What if you started to think, God has grace for me in this moment? I did something I wish I wouldn't have done, and God has grace for me in this moment. I said something I wish I wouldn't have said, and God has grace for me in this moment. I'm thinking about doing or saying something that I probably shouldn't, and God has grace for me in this moment. I'm overwhelmed by everything that's going on. I'm overwhelmed by my life. I'm overwhelmed by things at home, things at work, things at school, friendships, relationships, and... God has grace for me in this moment. Those who repent, those who change the way they think, will be revived by righteousness. Again, what's your working definition of righteousness? Too, too often we think righteousness is this category of good behaviors that we're supposed to do. Unrighteous or sinful behaviors are over here. Don't reduce righteousness to, to behavior. Righteousness is talking about a right relationship with God. So righteousness is a connection to God that is life-giving, that revives us. If we could change the way we think, if we could start thinking and trusting and believing, God has grace for me in this moment, that could begin a healing process in your life. That, that could start to change things. That could start to lift your burden. That could start to help you feel the power of forgiveness in your life that could revive you that could uh, breathe new life into you and you could get to a place where you live your life trusting on a moment by moment basis God is with me God is in me God is for me and if if this becomes our beginning thought our guiding thought it's really going to change the way we reach out to the world around us the way we carry out our mission uh, Paul is encouraging Timothy on this in 2 Timothy. Uh, this is chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. We'll put it up on the screen. Let me just read this to you. Paul writes, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. I, I hope you start to see the, the pattern or, or the flow of how this is working. God pours his grace out into our lives, and it causes us to do this inner work paying attention and becoming aware of the things that are happening inside us that are unhealthy, that, but they're guiding us and they're defining us, and, and God wants to change that. God wants to remind us who we are as children of God. God wants to remind us that we are, are loved, and as God is doing this work inside us, saving us, changing us, transforming us, reviving us, that's never an end in and of itself. It always leads us to a place where we reach out, where we tell others about our Lord. Uh, you see this time and time again, example after example, and, and I hope that one of the things you noticed 
as Richie is talking to Natalie and she's a little skeptical, it's his repentant heart, his humility that's starting to make a difference, that's causing her to get to a place where she believes. Uh, last week, if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go to the Hope Ankeny YouTube channel and you can catch up, uh, you can watch sermons, you can binge Hope Ankeny sermons. Uh, you can catch up on sermons that you've missed or you can subscribe to the podcast to catch up. But we spent a lot of time on Richie last weekend. He's at this restaurant um, and Carmi sends him there just to kind of observe. But initially, Richie is humiliated by this because he, he is polishing forks for nine, ten hours a day. Eventually, over the course of his week, his humiliation turns into humility because he's able to connect what he's doing to mission. Were you surprised as you were reading through 2 Timothy this week that Paul talked about forks? I mean, the word forks doesn't show up, but he talks about kitchen utensils. I'll read this to you, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 20. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. In other words, the, the power of God's grace in our life, it saves us, it transforms us, and then it prepares us. It gets us to a place where we can be useful for the Lord. We can be special utensils for every good work. We're on a mission from God. How has God uniquely designed you, shaped your life so that you can be used for the sake of the mission of this church? Did you know we have volunteers here who plant mums? Did you notice the mums as you were walking in? At some of the entrances, we've planted some new mums, but uh, we have a, a team of volunteers who are taking care of the landscaping around here. Make, and this is an important ministry. I mean, could you imagine if you walked up to the building, it's just weeds everywhere? That might not communicate what we want to communicate. And so we want people to know they're coming to the house of the Lord, that this is God's house. This is, there's something holy and sacred that is happening here. And if you've got a green thumb, if you love landscaping, we'd love to talk with you about how you could help us out with that. Did you know on Wednesday nights we serve a meal, dinner, for the hundreds of children and students and families and volunteers who are a part of our Wednesday night programming throughout the school year? Um, people's calendars are so jam-packed with everything. It's amazing that you're all able to do what you're able to do. We, I really think, especially for young families, we should just pat each other on the back every time we show up at, at worship, like, you did it, you got here, and nobody's too hurt, so it's great. Um, on, on Wednesday nights, you kind of get home from work and get home from practice and then have a meal and then get to church, and we're like, we'll just take care of the meal for you. So we've got Chef Gaird. He used to work at the Bear. Just kidding, but he probably could have. And he's got a team of people who prepare and, and serve that meal. And that might be a great way for you to volunteer, to be a special utensil that God's going to use around here. In October and November, when the small group stuff is going on, we're going to have that on Tuesday nights as well. When we have funerals, I'm just still catching up with some of the cards that I got uh, sent here while I was gone. Just before this service, I opened up a card from a funeral I did back in June. And uh, the widow was just so grateful, thankful for everything not, not just me, everything everyone did to make that uh, a holy moment for her family. She's, she's like, words are not enough. This is a special utensil 
uh, for every good work that God has. Maybe working on the, volunteering on the food service team is right up the alley for you. Uh, speaking of feeding people, this is Tim McGrath. Tim coordinates all our mission efforts here at Hope Ankeny, and, uh, including the cupboard. And Tim was telling me this week uh, an organization up in Iowa Falls came down to look at the cupboard and Pastor Ashley gave them the tour of the building and, and what we're all about here. And when they left, they dropped off 3,456 prepackaged meals. There's um, Tim holding those boxes that we're going to be able to give out through the cupboard to help meet a growing food insecurity need in our community. Ashley talked about small groups. We keep talking about small groups. It's our focus for the adults uh, this fall. And I know some people, you hear small groups and you're like, eh, it's not for me. I, I'm doing just fine. I'm growing just fine on my own. I got my podcast that I listen to and I've got uh, my friends that I talk to. I don't need a, a small group. And maybe you don't need a small group. But maybe if you sign up and join a small group, you're going to be just what somebody else needed. Maybe it's not about you. Maybe it's not about what you're going to get out of it. Maybe it's about how you can help and serve the other people in that group. So just another maybe seven weeks. Try it out and see what God does. How does God want to use you for the sake of carrying out the mission that God has given us here at Hope? Uh, Richie is, is ready to do this mission thing. He says to Carmi, I get it, let's go, we're on a mission from God. Um, Natalie's like, you know, slow your roll. Baby steps. How about we start by you helping me hire the right people to get on with the mission of this restaurant? Take a look. Look, Nelly, you know, if there's anything at all that I can do to make your life here easier, tell me. I need this place to work. We need this place to work. Baby steps. Okay? You and I will interview for a house today. Okay. Okay. Deal. Deal. I'm a problem solver, and you always put the restaurant first. So whatever I have to do to put out a fire, lead, or follow, I'm doing it. That's a great answer. Thank you. You'll be hearing from us. Really looking forward to it. Yeah. Us too. Hey, good luck. Hi. I mean... Well, she ain't it. She's got seven years. Elska, Oriole, Smith. Yeah, that's a lot of moving around for seven years, and that's not why we can't hire her. Okay, why can't we hire her? We can't hire her because every single napkin on this table is folded in alignment with the salad fork, except for hers. She just sat there. What do you mean? We're here for 20 minutes. She's there, looking at that, knowing that napkin's facing the wrong direction. Did you turn the napkin beforehand? Sugar, you guys want stars. That ain't a star catcher. If I'm her, that napkin would have driven me crazy, and I would have fixed it. Wow. You turned the napkin. Yeah, of course I did. Part of the transforming work that's happening inside of Richie is he's discovered there's no such thing as an insignificant thing. No such thing as a small that everything matters, that utensils have to be in alignment for the sake of mission. Paul says to Timothy, you're a special utensil. Everyone in your church is a special utensil that God can use for the sake of mission. It's so important that the utensils of this church are in alignment with what God is up to, 
our mission, our vision, our, our core values, that, that by our actions, our words, like we're not squelching what the Holy Spirit is trying to do here, but we're opening the path wide so that God can do what it is that God wants to do. Can you imagine what could happen if, if a church was fully in alignment? One more uh, passage, one more verse from 2 Timothy. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Fully carry it out. Not partway, not halfway. Fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Part of what I did on sabbatical, I didn't just lay out in suntan. I went and visited churches and talked to churches and what are some of the things that they are doing that uh, is really interesting as they're reaching out to their community. So a couple of weeks ago, I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, visiting a church in suburban Wisconsin called Elmbrook Church. And about 15 years ago, they started a ministry called James Place. Today, they have five James Place locations around uh, Milwaukee, most of them uh, more in the urban parts of Milwaukee. And so the one that I visited was called James Place at Washington High School in the Sherman Park neighborhood of Milwaukee. Uh, they've been there for about 12 years. And the woman who was uh, showing me around on the right-hand side of the screen, her name is Colleen. She's been there for a decade. She was a, a teacher in schools for more than 20 years and then felt this calling to start volunteering at James Place. And then when they needed to hire a director, um, she applied, and she's been there for a, about a decade. And I was asking her, like, what do you do? And she said, well, it's mostly college and career readiness kinds of stuff. Uh, but over the years, we've developed trust. We've gotten to, to know people, and, they, and we're just kind of a ministry of presence. People know we're here. Uh, they just stop in when they need encouragement. They stop in when they're having a rough day. How did it get started, I asked. And Colleen said, well, um, when our church was thinking about doing this kind of reaching out, they came to this high school to meet with the principal, and the principal was very skeptical not very receptive. Principal said, I'm going away on vacation. You look around this place. There's litter everywhere. There's weeds everywhere. Why don't you just clean this place up while I'm on vacation? Principal gets back from vacation and they, the church had cleaned it up. So the principal said, okay, what do you want to do next? They said, how about we help students study for the ACT? Okay. They got them a little closet uh, where they could help students prepare for and, and study for these college entrance exams. Um, they did that for a couple of years. They built a volunteer team, building trust, uh, gaining the respect of, of that school. 2016 ended up being a real turning point uh, for this ministry. Uh, there were race riots in Milwaukee in 2016 in the Sherman Park neighborhood. And after the riots uh, died down, uh, the principal had a open house in the school auditorium and invited a bunch, dozens of churches from the suburbs to come in on one condition. You can come, you're welcome, but you can't speak. We just want you to listen. And the principal had a bunch of high school students, teenagers lined up to share their observations. And student after student said, here's what we observe. When there's an issue, when something happens, you show up, you swoop in from the suburbs for a week maybe two. You get your photo ops and then you leave. Now remember, Colleen and her team, they'd been there for several years at this point. Um, and they're like, is that how you view us? What do we do? Do we just call it quits? Do we give up? 
And Colleen said, we didn't really know what to do. And she looked at me and kind of shrugged her shoulders and said, so we just kept showing up. We just kept showing up. And it seems to me that's our call, our mission as a church as well. Reach out to the world around you, whether the time is favorable or not. Share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people are going to laugh at you. Sometimes they're going to be receptive. But just keep showing up. I don't know what the situations are in your life, family situations, friendships. I don't know what's going on. But I wonder if maybe God's just calling you to keep showing up. Show up with grace. Show up with humility. Show up because of the power of God that has shown up for you time and time again. Show up to offer hope. Show up with good news of the transforming power of God at work in your life. Just keep showing up. Just keep reaching out to the world around us and sharing the everlasting love of Jesus Christ because that's what our God has done for us. God saw the mess we were in and God showed up in the person of God's son, Jesus Christ, at just the right time and in just the right way to give us what we needed, to revive us, to give us new life. We praise God for that. We praise God for the mission that he's given us. Let's stand and let's sing one final song together.